think because I am definitely not training as much as I would normally, I'm used to eating a lot and so for, for me it's more that instinct to eat heaps. I actually can't because there's no space. So it's spreading meals out throughout the day, um, yeah, and make, taking a more conscious effort to do that and just snack all day. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin and going solo today, Steph Gaskell is away on holidays over in Western Australia having done some work over there at the Margaret River Ultra. So um, yeah, she'll take a bit of time off this week to enjoy and explore WA and she'll be back with us next week. Uh, but Steph and I are both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne. Combined, we have over 30 years' experience working with runners, cyclists, and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week on the podcast, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask, the sort of things that people are debating out on their training run or ride, in the coffee shop afterwards, or jumping on Google to have a look for. So we'll take that question and break it down, invite a guest expert in our A episode or an athlete or coach in our B episode to add their perspective. Today, it's episode 36B, how do sports nutrition needs change when I'm pregnant or breastfeeding? And we're joined by Kelly Emerson, who is an ultra runner, a mum of one, and pregnant with her second as well. So we'll discuss her experiences of training and racing during pregnancy and how pregnancy impacted on her nutrition for running. And then we'll talk a bit about her return to running after having her first child, Atticus, and looking at some of the practical challenges of training when breastfeeding and her approach to nutrition during this time. So in terms of social media shout outs this week, uh, it's been a fairly quiet week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, We did have um, uh, Alicia Edge from Compete Nutrition, who was our guest on our last episode, 36A, on the same topic as today, um, just contacted us on Instagram saying thank, thank you so much for the invite team. It's so good to bring this topic to the forefront, uh, one that doesn't necessarily get covered um, maybe as much on podcasts as people would like to see. Uh, and normally we have Steph providing her uh, input into all the various people she's come across during the week that have provided her with feedback on the podcast. I'm a bit boring with uh two kids and a lot of other things going on. I don't get to uh, get the same kind of feedback that Steph does, but uh, we'll have to wait to next week till um, till Steph is back from WA to hear what's been going on over there. But just a reminder, if you have a particular question that you would like answered on the podcast, you can contact us on social media at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you have some other feedback about the podcast, good, bad, or otherwise, we're always keen to improve. So again, feel free to reach out. Uh, We're always happy to hear from you. So today's episode, episode 36B, how do sports nutrition needs change when I'm pregnant or breastfeeding with Kelly Emerson? Now you might know that name if you're an ultra runner particularly, um, but also if you're a regular listener to the podcast because we've had Kelly on before back on episode 12B where we asked the question, how do I tackle my first ultra distance event? Uh, Kelly's obviously very experienced in the ultra scene. Uh, she's an elite level ultra runner. She's won Ultra Trail Australia before uh, and has been top five in the women's field at Ultra Trail Mont Blanc as well, which is, I guess, the 
one of the pinnacles of the of the sport in terms of ultra running. Uh, but I guess a, a little bit of a change of pace for Kelly over the last couple of years. She had her first child, Atticus, in September 2020. Uh, and she's now, well, at the time of recording, she was 28 weeks pregnant. It'll be 29 weeks now with her second child. And Kelly is also an occupational therapist um, by profession, uh, and she's also a researcher in that field. So she has a very sort of scientific approach to um, the whole you know, pregnancy and particularly the returning to running after having Atticus. And if you've ever followed Kelly on social media, um, she's talked a lot about her return to running um, after having him and I guess the steps she took along the way and the guidelines that she followed. So we'll talk a little bit about that in this episode and then obviously talk about the nutrition side of things and how um, pregnancy impacted not only on her training but on her nutrition and how those two kind of interacted and then um, some of the practical tips she's learned along the way um, both during pregnancy and with breastfeeding as well. So I think that's enough from me. Um, I think we'll just get straight into this one, this interview with Kelly Emerson. Kelly Emerson, welcome back to The Long Munch. Thank you. So we were very lucky um, to have you on the podcast last year to um, help tackle the question, how do I tackle my first ultra distance event? Um, But today we wanted to talk to you about something a little bit different, still about tackling ultra running, training and racing. However, when pregnant or, um, you know, while breastfeeding. Um, so you've got one little boy and, um, we just found out you've got one on the way with just like this small little bump that you've got happening right now. So, um, during your first pregnancy, I, I, I saw from social media and and things that you're still managing to keep up the, the long running. And I knew that was important to you. Um, I believe you're doing the same still with the, this second one. Are you able to fill us in on, yeah, how far into the first pregnancy you kept up your training? Yeah, so with Atticus, I managed to keep running till about 36 weeks. Um, wow. It was a bit of a, a hobble slash run walk by then, but, yeah, um, yeah I managed to do some running right up right up and, and until 36 weeks, which I was pretty happy with. Yeah. Um, this time around, um, it's, it's a little bit different because I feel a lot bigger. Um, so still running at 28 weeks, but, um, I think that that will, yeah, we'll see where we, we actually get to this time. Yeah. 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 Um, so, um, yeah, so I guess you answered that one in terms of it does seem like it has been a bit different with the, the different pregnancies in terms of your, your training, um, what else has been different for you um, with that experience? Yeah, so I guess the first time um, we were in lockdown for pretty much the entire pregnancy. So yeah. um, I was a bit restricted with what I had available to me and um, there were no races on the calendar. So at that time that was actually, it worked out really well in my favour because I, I didn't get any FOMO. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know everyone else is missing out too so yeah um you know I could just focus on on just trying to to run and do some some cross training on zoom at home yeah um the difference this time is that I have been able to race um so early on I think uh, a few days before GSER 28 um I found out I was pregnant yeah 
and because of COVID, um, everything had been pushed back. So I'd been training pretty heavily for uh, the Surf Coast Century 100K and um, I was pretty keen to still still race. Um, But, yeah, I was trying to make some of those decisions about whether it was smart to or not and Mm -hmm. um, I managed to run... Yeah, GSCR 28, the roller coaster 12K, and then um, we backed off and did Surf Coast Century 50K. And so I, I ran all three and won all three um, early on in my pregnancy. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, awesome. And um, yeah, with I guess deciding that and trying to find information um, on how to train safely during pregnancy, how easy did you find sourcing that information and um are you able to kind of I guess fill us in on the up-to-date information in that area because I know our listeners will be really interested yeah it's really hard because you know traditionally um women were told to rest and put their feet Mm. up and not do anything um in in pregnancy um and luckily you know there's a lot more research out there now showing that um that's not the case and actually that's detrimental in many cases um, and there's heaps of benefits to exercising. So if you look at the Sports Medicine Australia um, website, they have a position statement um, that covers a lot of the research um, on what is safe and um, to do and, and covering the contraindications for running yep. and exercise during pregnancy. But it's quite limited in that there's a, not a lot of research out there for long-distance runners <clears throat> or endurance athletes. Um, so it was harder to find out, um, you know, how far can I push it really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to make that decision on whether I should should be running Surf Coast Century at the 100K at I think eight, eight or nine weeks pregnant. Um, I found it really hard to find information. So my obstetrician was not overly keen. She didn't say no. Um, <laughs> I guess she kind of left it up to me to make that call. Um, the best article I found was an I Run Far article. It covered all the latest research and then it looked at a few case studies from elite athletes who had, had run specific races throughout their pregnancy um, in the States. Um, yeah. And, I, yeah, I, I found that a really useful article. Is this, this is still persistent... Um... Like I remember when my wife was pregnant, there's this whole thing about 140 beats per minute, like the heart rate. It was like you have to keep your heart rate below 140. It was like this almost like blanket rule. Um, and we pretty much ditched that now. Yeah, yeah. So it, it sounds like heart rate's not really a thing as long as you're not pushing it for above 90% um, for too long, um, which, you know, how many of us really do that? Yeah. Um, it's more probably about body temperature. So um, I did the Noosa Ultra Trail, the 15K, um, yeah. only a few weeks back. Um, and that was probably the main thing for me running that race was, um, you know, being in the humidity and the heat mm. of Queensland, mm. um, just, you know, heading out and going, oh, okay, yeah, I can feel my body temperature creeping up. Mm. I've, I've actually got to use some of these strategies that I've learned and taught other people along the way. And actually, be really focused on this, but yeah, not not concerned about heart rate. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, um, cool. So, I guess the the question that we're answering is kind of two two questions. Um, but first one we'll tackle is how did my training nutrition needs change while 
um, pregnant and, and still training. So we were lucky enough to speak to um, sports dietitian Alicia Edge, and she's also a mum of, of three um, and, and quite active as well. Um, so we spoke to her more in terms of the, you know, nutrition recommendations, but we wanted to get you on and, and talk to you more about your personal experiences as, as an athlete in this area. Um, so as we'd kind of expect, regardless of, you know, training, there's extra energy that's required during pregnancy. And that obviously varies depending on the trimester. Is this something you had to sort of consciously manage or did appetite kind of help guide you in, in signaling the, that extra energy requirement? Yeah, it's, it's been a little bit varied for me. I think because I am definitely not training as much as I would normally. Yeah. Um, I'm used to eating a lot. And so mm-hmm. for for me, it's more that instinct to eat heaps. I actually can't because there's no space. Yeah. So it's spreading meals out throughout the day. Um, yeah, and, and make, taking a more conscious effort to do that and just snack all day rather than eating my three big meals because I just can't fit it in and then I end up making myself sick. So, yeah, um, yeah. and then on the other level, in knowing that I'm training and things, you know, normally I might train a few sessions a week fasted, so I might go out in the morning having not had breakfast, but I'm probably a lot, you know, more conscious of that, trying to avoid doing that and making sure that I've always had at least some sort of snack to get my blood sugar levels Mm. stable and, and ready to go. Mm. yeah did you find that if you did get caught out on that where you you know just didn't manage to get anything in did you notice that a bit more in terms of feeling like your blood sugar levels were going a bit low quicker than if you weren't pregnant yeah I think so just feeling a bit more fatigued and like I haven't got as much much room I guess yeah and it does happen sometimes when you're trying to juggle the baby other baby and everything else and trying to trying to get out but yeah trying to trying to be conscious of that yeah yep yep and um yeah every pregnancy we know is 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 different some can and we learned this from Alicia actually I think she mentioned her first pregnancy was bliss no issues second and third nightmare in terms of nausea morning sickness um and and fatigue how have your pregnancies been in in this area? Yeah, I've been really lucky. Um, I've had very minimal morning sickness with either of them. Um, you know, occasionally towards the end of the day, sometimes I feel a bit fatigued, and and you know, it might be the odd odd um, case of nausea, um, but very minimal. And what I've found is that if I can stick to my exercise routine and if I'm not feeling quite right but actually make myself get out for a run I always feel better Um, so I think that's been the key for me and you know I don't know what the research is in terms of um, the stats of illness and exercise but for me I I really feel like having that routine and that that fitness has really helped (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and um on the days where you, you train more, say, than others during pregnancy, do you, do you have to make kind of this extra effort to make sure you're getting in even more energy compared to if you're resting? Um, yeah. So, again, I guess if I'm, if I'm resting, I will not – I know that I don't need to eat as much. Um, yeah. So And the days that I do, it's probably not a hell of a lot different to what I would normally do, um, but just, yeah, more snacks. I think. Yeah. 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 
Um, and it doesn't sound yeah. like you really had to, like from what you mentioned before, like having that routine with your training was actually helpful for you in terms yeah. of managing um, some of those symptoms. So it didn't yeah. sound like the symptoms got to the point where you actually had to change your training schedule or say, oh, I feel rotten this morning, I'm going to train in the afternoon instead or, or modifying things. Yeah, I think the only thing would be probably fatigue in, in terms of um, being able to actually get up in the morning. Um, yeah. You know, I found that pretty hard at first and so it was a lot easier to train from a fatigue perspective in the afternoons Mm -hmm. um yeah Mm -hmm. and then you know days when i am feeling a bit nauseous might be having a bit of ginger beer and i'm on my way and i'm good (laughs) yeah 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 that's good that's good and how have you found because you you coach a, a lot of athletes too um do you coach many athletes that you know are pregnant and um and if you do have you found that, you know, they, if they do experience more nausea or morning sickness, do you have any tips in terms of how to manage that? Yeah, I've, I've coached a few that have fallen pregnant, but to be honest, most of them have probably not been elite level athletes and have decided that um, the running is not their priority. Yeah. Um, and so rather than, you know, feeling forced to stick to a program, I think they've mm. decided that they just wanted to listen to their body. And I was mm. probably the same. I, I haven't been coached throughout either of my pregnancies. Um, yeah. For me, it was more focused on just, um, yeah, listening to what my body feels like when needs to do that particular day and not yeah. and taking the pressure off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of people contact me about um, what they should do. Um yeah. If they if they are feeling a bit off, um, and yeah, normally I would just say try and get out and still move, and yeah. Um, and yeah, ginger beer is your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's a goodie, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you make a conscious effort to kind of increase your intake of any particular nutrients during, you know, during your pregnancy, and and you know now? Yeah, um, not significantly. I think probably just making sure that um, we're having a good balance of macronutrients. So, you know, I probably uh, am eating a, potentially a few more carbs, a few more rice and pasta um, in most of my meals. But, yeah, but just a good balance, um, I think, of everything. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I think our um, Alicia was saying, and again, it's just so varied for each person, but um, some tend to find that they kind of go more to the carbs because they struggle with getting in, you know, sometimes the protein, it's a bit harder to digest perhaps for them, or they maybe they tend to be a bit off of the meat because of how they're feeling. Mm. Um, but, mm. yeah. yeah, and whether it's like gastrointestinal tolerance mm. of the you know, feeling of yeah cold. sort of either high fiber or high protein foods or sometimes it's the taste and smell of things mm. is really off-putting as well yeah, yeah. But you've been okay with the protein kill yeah well. i've been fine so yeah generally most meals will have carbs proteins fats and yeah. make sure I'm good mix. Yeah. um definitely there'll be some days where you go yes. more carb heavy um and probably you know I like having I do feel like a glass of juice in the morning and um I haven't had any significant cravings other than this particular pregnancy early on there was one day when I just had to have KFC for lunch I haven't eaten KFC in about 20 years but I just had to go (laughs) leave the house and get KFC (laughs) that was really bizarre (laughs) yeah 
That that lines up. Yeah, Alicia was saying a similar thing. She well, it wasn't necessarily KFC, but she was just needed chips, like hot chips, and yeah. she felt so bad, like going in and like just you know coming out with this massive bag of chips she hadn't <laughs> eaten all day. But that's like she just had to have it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> That that doesn't sound too bad to me. Um, <laughs> so what what one common thing um, is you know iron deficiency that that can be experienced during pregnancy and obviously also can be quite a common thing for female runners. Um, how was your experience in this um, area with both pregnancies? Yeah, this pregnancy I've been fine so far. Um, I vaguely remember being on iron supplements towards the end of my first pregnancy, I think, but I honestly can't remember much about it, but I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I was on supplements towards the end. Yeah. 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 Okay. And did you struggle with that area prior to pregnancy or you were okay? No, I've always been fine. Been yeah. good. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's <laughs> good. Um, and, um, so you, you, you kind of doesn't sound like you've really found it too difficult to get in the extra food and energy that you've needed. You've kind of just tweaked your, what you normally do with perhaps just adding in a bit of extra carbs and getting in the extra extra snacks and then just increase your frequency. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I've been, I feel like I've been very lucky. Um, and, yeah, the main thing for me is just not overeating. Um, yeah. Yeah, when you feel like, you know, I have this instinct to eat everything on my plate and it's just not possible anymore. So it's, yeah. you know, yeah, smaller portion sizes more often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's a really good point too that, that often people forget is like, you know, there's that extra calorie requirement for pregnancy or you need to eat more. Um, yeah. But as you said, like if you're doing a big training volume, you're probably going to be reducing that. So mm. the calorie need from the training is going to reduce. So they kind of even each other out Correct. in a lot of cases. Yeah. And then it's more, I guess, just managing the sort of the symptoms in terms of nausea or reflux and, and those kind of things that might be limiting you getting to that level yeah. anyway. Yeah. I think yeah. So, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> All right, well, let's shift our focus a little bit now to the, the breastfeeding side of things um, and I guess, you know, returning to training uh, post-baby. And I know you uh, posted quite a lot on social media about that return to training side of things, uh, more around the physical side of things than the nutrition aspect and, you know, your background is, is in occupational therapy. Um, but if we focus on the nutrition side of things, we discussed last week with Alicia that, you know, during breastfeeding there's, again, a higher sort of calorie requirement at that time uh, and some nutrients that are sort of required in higher amounts than, than would otherwise normally be. Um, did you notice, I mean, I guess it's hard going from, you know, pregnancy straight into that compared to, you know, when you're neither pregnant nor breastfeeding, but did you notice any sort of change in your appetite during this time in terms of either greater appetite or less? Yeah, I think from memory I was probably a little bit hungrier, hungrier again um, and it's always a win when you are allowed to eat everything that you want to again as well. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think um, the main thing was just remembering to drink um, a lot yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Alicia talked a lot about last week, like obviously like a lot of the time you're one-handed because you've got a baby there and you're on the couch and trying to juggle stuff did you find that sort of a practical challenge and things you had to sort of learn how to get access to food and drinks and things while you're sleep deprived and carrying a baby around 
Definitely. Yes, it is a juggle. And, um, you know, I, I breastfed Atticus for 13 months. Um, yep. And, yeah, earlier, those first six weeks were definitely the hardest of my mm. life probably. And, yeah, the physical juggle is, is real. Uh, you know, you sit down, you get everything sorted, and then you go, crap, my drink bottle is a few metres away. Um, yep. Um, and even worse was uh, pumping as well and um, trying to figure out how you're going to do that and manage the baby and not drop the milk, the, the, this liquid gold that you've just, like, spent however long trying to mm. try to, <laughs> try to get and then uh, not spill it everywhere. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, just on the sort of the return to training side of things, do you want to talk us through kind of the, the timeline in terms of how how soon after birth did you sort of start that process? How quickly or slowly did you take it? And when did you sort of feel you were getting back to kind of, I guess, a normal quote unquote kind of training volume? Yeah. So I was really um, determined to do it properly. Um, I had seen so many social media posts of people really um, – promoting the wrong information to, to people and I didn't I didn't want to do that I guess as a as a researcher myself I wanted to make sure that I was get you know receiving and providing the right information to people mm-hmm. um, so I found um, a working group who had developed their return to running postnatal guidelines for run coaches and physios and um, sort of joined that group online and and found their their paper um, that was really um it, it was really prescriptive and um it yeah gave gave all the recommendations for returning to to running postpartum so um I guess I started walking pretty much straight away um just tried to keep it low impact and um I probably got on the bike at about four weeks um postpartum um again low impact but just turning the legs over trying to to start getting some aerobic fitness back um and then I went back to some postnatal um, exercise classes at about six weeks uh, once I get the all clear from the obstetrician um to start working on some strength and um specific um pelvic floor and core work yep um and then I didn't start running until uh, 12 weeks which is what is recommended for lots of people that seems like a really long time but you know I, I I wanted to take a conservative approach and make sure that I could get back to competing um at the level that I wanted and mm. you know if you do it too early there's there's so many risks so um I started at 12 weeks with a basic couch to 5k program um and I was able to start speeding that up a little bit towards the end so for example instead of doing three sessions a week I might have done four mm-hmm. and then um yeah um probably two months later I was starting to feel pretty good I did my first race um at around five to six months I think yep um, which was at the Warby Trail Fest and I did a four and a half k and then a 14k the next day um so it felt good to get back out yeah. um, I think that's an important point too is that you know you're sort of out there racing and you know with the the community um yeah and feeling a part of it but you're not going out there and going I've got to go in into the 100 which I'd normally do you're definitely peeling it right back yeah and I think you know my first competitive real competitive race wasn't until UTA 22 which was at 
yeah, May, so that was maybe mm-hmm. eight, seven or eight months um, postpartum. Um, and I felt really good and, and quite strong by then. But I didn't feel the need to go, you know, I did a 22K race. I didn't feel the need to go and do an ultra at that point. Yeah. I think that in a way <clears throat> um, COVID and all of the lockdowns probably helped take that pressure off because mm. um, after that we went back into lockdown and there, we didn't, I didn't have the option to race at all. Um, yeah. And I didn't get the option to race again until I was pregnant with <laughs> number two. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting how that sort of played out. And, you know, I I had aimed for um, Surf Coast Century um, that would have been just, uh, just a bit earlier than a year postpartum, I think. Yeah. That was going to be my first sort of big ultra. Um, mm. Yeah, so that got delayed, obviously. But, um, yeah. 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 I think it was a pretty planned and progressive sort of um, return. Yep. And, okay. and it worked because I, you know, I came back and even though I didn't get to race till I was pregnant, um, you know, I was able to perform well and my body felt really good. And yeah. Yep. I didn't Excellent. have any pelvic um, issues or, you know, anything like that. Yep. And as, as you said, or you alluded to before, there's plenty of stories that people have probably tried to go back too early and it's a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. And it's really hard in this in this community because everyone's so encouraging, but often it's in the wrong way. And mm. so you need to be able to have the confidence um, to say, no, I'm going to do this my own way and, I'm, you know, I'm going to listen to my body yep. and not be encouraged by others. Yep. And before we get into the sort of, you know, managing the breastfeeding alongside that, if people are looking for that information about sort of return to, to running um, postpartum, where should they go to get that information? Yeah, so if the, you just Google um, post, uh, is it po- uh, return, nah, postpartum return to running guidelines, something along those lines. I can't remember the official title. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a good, there's a, a good position statement online. Yep, and, and so is that Sports free, Medicine Australia? No, that one's not. Um, okay. No, that was it's some researchers from the UK. Okay. I can't remember what journal it's in. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's right. We, we can, can link to it. We can find it and link to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is awesome. great to see there's there's a lot more research happening in Australia. Um, the Female Health Performance Initiative um, mm. is on board thanks to the AIS, and there's a lot more coming out um, related yep. to that. There's a new project called the Mum Elite Project, um, which I think we'll see some more information from soon as well. <laughs> so mm. it's good that they're finally addressing this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And then I guess once you started getting back into training, obviously at the start when you're just, you know, walking or doing really short runs, I'm guessing it didn't probably impact on sort of, the, you know, your feeding routine or the ability to breastfeed too much. But I guess as that training volume started to increase, did you run into any sort of practical or logistical challenges with that? Yeah, um, I guess I'll, I remember very clearly the first run that I went on. Um, and I got up before the baby was awake and thought, this is great, I'll get this done early and realised very quickly that that was a big mistake because I went out with full boobs and it was very uncomfortable. And yep. <laughs> whilst it was really nice to run, um, it was very uncomfortable. So um, I guess I learned pretty early that it was um, going to make more sense to feed the baby first and then and then yep. go. Um, and then, you know, that creates a lot more logistical issues in making sure the husband's home to look after the baby and, you know, go, got a big juggling act but um yeah just I guess making times to go and making it clear you know if you could go and join a running group where you know you have to be there a specific time I think it's easier to make things work um Mm -hmm. as well because often 
you know, you get up and you're so tired and it's, you know, it seems like such an effort to get out of the house initially. So trying to find some structure and routine really helps. <clears throat> yep. Yep, definitely. Um, and in terms of actual, you know, milk production supply, that kind mm. of thing, was that ever a concern? Like, is my training going to impact on this somehow and, um, you know, potentially cause a problem? Yeah, I was definitely um, aware that it, it could be an issue, but most of the research now is showing that, that that's actually not the case and it shouldn't shouldn't impair um, milk production um, from what I've read. Um, but, um, you know, it was just making an effort to make sure that I was eating really well um, and drinking really well so the baby was getting everything that he needed to grow and develop. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. And did the addition of training sort of around everything else that's going on in your life at that time, did that sort of change um, decisions about whether to sort of, you know, directly breastfeed versus express? Um, I think I, I remember expressing for quite a long time, but I think there was a period in the middle where we where I didn't. Um, and I think we went back to it to make sure that uh, my supply um uh, was maintained yep. um, later on. Um, logistically, sometimes it would be easier to express than, you know, depending mm. on what was happening on a particular day. So, yeah, there were lots of factors involved, I guess, in, in trying to logistically make it work. <laughs> were there any other sort of unique or specific challenges of trying to combine breastfeeding and, and your training at the same time? Um, the only other thing, I guess, is was making sure that I had some really supportive um, sports bras. And mm. that is a, a bit of a challenge because they don't really make a lot of sports bras that um, are breastfeeding friendly. Um, mm. and so often it was you know, finding ones that had Velcro that, you know, I could easily access. Um, and I remember when I went to get fitted, they said, oh, well, we do really need a breastfeeding bra to, to train in. Logistically, you don't come home and have time to have a shower and get changed and do all that stuff. Like so, yeah, it was actually really important to have sports bras that I could could feed in. Yeah, and yep. so yeah, doing the search and and finding, you know, there's a lot of companies online that are great for breastfeeding mums, but they're not high impact bras. So it, you know, it did take a bit to figure out what was gonna gonna support me enough to run, uh, you know, and and have something high impact. Um, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's a really good tip, I think, for, for a lot of people. Um, and in terms of the, the nutrition side of things, like we spoke to Alicia last week about, you know, what changes in terms of nutrition requirements. So, again, a little bit more calories, as you said, your appetite probably increased from, from that perspective, you know, probably a bit more protein and calcium uh, and also fluid because, you know, you're producing breast milk. That's a, a fluid loss as well. Um, did you find that you had to make a conscious effort for any of those kind of nutrients or, or trying to get certain foods in because of your breastfeeding? Um, probably not food-wise, but, again, just just eating lots. Um, mm. For me, it's more about hydration because I'm terrible at drinking at the best of times. So mm -hmm. it was making a conscious effort to make sure I always had a drink bottle next to me um, and that I was, was, was drinking, yeah. Yeah. And I guess then potentially a, a third factor that then comes into that. So you got the training, you got the breastfeeding, but did you return to work during that kind of time when that was sort of all overlapped as well? Yeah, just towards the end. So I did. Um, there, were, luckily, we were still mostly working from home, 
um, which made life a little bit easier. But there mm. were a few days where I had to go into the office and and pump, and um, you know, it was it's always a little bit awkward, but. Um, just had to make it work because I was, you know, I was pretty keen to to try and keep breastfeeding him to at least twelve months. So I was yep. pretty happy to get to thirteen. And yep. um, yeah, funnily enough, it that that it was his decision to stop, not mine. I don't know if he he figured out that I was pregnant before I did. I remember <laughs> coming home from training one day, and um, I didn't have time to have a shower before feeding him, putting him to bed. So. I just put him on the boob and um, he just looked at me with this disgusted face. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? I was like, oh, I guess you don't like sweaty boob. Okay. Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just this disgusted, like, what, mum? <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I tried again for the next three days and she didn't want to borrow it. So mm. It wasn't a sweaty boob. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, but but having that sort of work element added into the mix, obviously that kind of blocks out a particular part of your day from a schedule point of view. And, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously, you know, most of us have to plan our exercise around work and then you're trying to do that around work and feeding and, mm-hmm. um, and trying to get your training in. Did you find that that added an additional sort of element of challenge or was it that the times that you could train around work sort of fitted in with your feeding routine okay anyway? Um, it was definitely it's definitely a lot harder. There's just so many things that you need to think about. Um, mm. But luckily by that stage, I think we'd cut down to maybe only two or three times a day. So yeah. um, I fed him in the morning and at night and whether maybe I fed him it, maybe when I first went back to work, it might have been as soon as I got home from work as well. Um, so, I, yeah, because it was a lot more minimal by that point, um, I could make it work um, yeah. pretty easily. But, um, yeah, I can imagine if I was still breastfeeding a lot more at that point, that would have been a big challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, any, I mean, from, from other athletes that you've sort of seen or, or worked with um, or, or just sort of followed on social media or whatever, have there been any sort of common or crucial mistakes or things that, that you've seen people learn the hard way in terms of, you know, managing that return to training alongside breastfeeding and then other life stuff, I guess, that, that happens at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the, the main thing that, that I get asked about all the time is that that breast support and how do I find a bra that um, is going to make it comfortable. I think mm-hmm. that's probably, yeah, the, the main thing that I see. There are a lot of people that are concerned about, about losing their milk supply, but I think it, it's not... I think there's a lot of other factors that are involved in that <clears throat> rather than just, you know, the training aspect. Um, yeah. And I guess the only other thing is, um, you know, seeing people who let the baby control everything and so, you know, training just, it, they don't find that, that routine back and, and be able to come back to, to running and finding that time for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then the, the other thing that we discussed with Alicia last week uh, and I'm not sure if this was relevant to you in terms of, you know, what um, sort of sports foods and supplements and things you might have been using, you know, pre-pregnancy. But mm-hmm. often there's a lot of concern about things like protein powders or supplements and things while breastfeeding in terms of, you know, is it safe? Um, is it going to cause any problem in terms of the baby and and so forth? Uh, w- did you have any kind of experience with that or something you had to sort of look into or, or think about? Uh, not too significantly. Um, I don't take a whole lot of supplements. Um, I probably should take a bit more protein. Um, 
probably the main thing for me was um, when I was racing early on in this pregnancy was knowing how to fuel right and that um, probably some of the gels that, you know, I was taking or that I would normally take in, in a race, um, making sure that they weren't too caffeine heavy. Um, mm. And also like racing Surf Coast cent- Century, the 50K, I would probably normally race a 50K on just gels, whereas yep. I was a bit more conscious that um, I wanted to make sure I, my calorie intake was a lot higher. So um, I had boiled potatoes at every checkpoint as well. Mm-hmm. Um which um, I felt, you know, that seemed to work and, and everything was good. And I probably learned that I could probably do that in some other 50K races, not pregnant or breastfeeding. So yeah, <laughs> probably will help me. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. And any sort of final considerations either on the pregnancy or the breastfeeding side of things that we haven't sort of covered that you think are important for people to know about? Um, just that it's okay to exercise and that it's it's okay to get back into training and things, I guess. You know, there's a lot of anxious people out there and not sure what to do, but there's there's a lot of research out there now to support to support getting back into it all. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. And maybe not like going into racing too early kind of thing <clears throat> and easing into the, the racing side of it like you did, you know, when we're ultra runner. Sometimes we always just want to go, you know, long 100Ks and, and stuff, whereas it sounds like you, you know, you went into it with the shorter distances first, 14, 22, 50. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think, you know, lots of people, you know, because of social media, um, you know, there's the there's Running Mums Australia, for example, who I, I love. I think it's a great organisation. But at the same time, you often see, you know, people jump on and, go I've just had twins and I just went for my first run at six weeks mm. well no that's the wrong message to be sending to people you need yeah. to look at your pelvic floor first and get all of the other things right first mm. and you know, there's no rush there's no need mm. and I think having guidelines that are available like that <clears throat> kind of takes mm. the pressure off as well because you know you can just focus on your baby and focus on getting your body right before mm. you put the pressure back on yourself to to go and race Yep. Yep. All right. And then the the final question, is there anything, I guess, from your experience, um, from your first pregnancy and then, you know, return to, to training, um, that you sort of learnt along the way that you would do, or you're planning on doing differently this time around? Um, or you're pretty happy with how everything went? Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with how everything went and how I was able to get back and, and, um, be competitive. Um, I guess this time around I'm probably, because we're not in lockdown, I've got a few more options available right now um, for cross-training. So I'm trying to do a lot more um, Pilates and yoga and swimming and, you know, other options to keep um, my body strong um, whilst I can. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, make most of those opportunities that I didn't have before. <clears throat> All right, well, I might hand over to Steph now to finish off with our bonus round. Excellent. All right. Um, so we kind of um, answered this a bit, but any, apart from the KFC, um, you know, going going there for your food craving, did you have any other unusual food cravings during your pregnancy? Maybe that you didn't think that was unusual, but your partner, Tegan, thought was, what are you doing? 
not really. That's really the only thing. And probably, yeah, by the need to have a glass of juice every morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. What that's did good. you say? She said, I've been much better this time than last. Oh, oh well, come in and tell us what was she stealing <laughs> off your plate? <laughs> I think mentally last time she really struggled with baby brain, she called it. <laughs> yeah. But this time she hasn't complained of that at all and she's taken on greater responsibility at work and seems to be coping a lot well, better. So I don't know yeah. whether that's the reflection of just experience and and not being so, um, you know, everything not being so novel. Yes. Uh, or whether there, you know, are different changes. But, yes, she's certainly... Um, been far more uh, on it. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably point out too that this is my chef. He does the majority of the cooking, so um, I'm I'm very lucky. <laughs> yeah, ah, that's good. Yeah. Well, did you find it? Because um, I know you said you didn't really experience nausea and stuff like that. But um, was that handy then? Because did you feel like having to, you know, prepare the food and stuff like that? You might have felt sick or just too fatigued. Uh, yeah, potentially. I guess just the life juggle. You know, I'm a pretty busy person as it is with work and coaching and trying to train and everything. So, yeah, it's, it's always very handy having someone else to concentrate on some of those other things. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So you didn't sneak anything extra into the meals, Tegan? Or... Uh, not this time, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> not this time. My my biggest struggle is just not serving her a normal quantity. <laughs> yeah, the bigger the bigger sort of size that you'd normally have, sort of yeah. making it a bit smaller. Yeah, yeah, I struggle yeah. with us. Uh, I struggle with serving both of us appropriate <laughs> sized portions. Actually, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's a common thing. <laughs> what about um favorite running place for you, Kel? With with taking the the kids, do you have a favorite running spot and when I say kids also um you're you're running you're running um dog what's the name again I've forgotten Barkley Barkley that's it yeah with Barkley as well <laughs> um yeah look I guess these days it's anywhere that's pram pram friendly but anywhere that you can find a good um bike trail along the along the coast is always lovely um we were up on the sunny coast recently so running along the the path there in Malulava was beautiful Nice. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, what about favorite post-event recovery meal um, for you? Probably pizza or chips. Pizza or chips. Yeah. KFC chips still, or just any chips? Any chips. No. Any chips. Yep. Well, most most trail races aren't near a, a KFC. That's right. No. Yeah. <laughs> you can rely on a good old pub. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. And um, what's your next big um, race on the radar? You you mentioned, um, yeah, what was coming up? Yeah, so I haven't really um, committed to anything too much. Mm. I'll just see how the recovery goes. But yeah. um, I have signed up to the new Ultra Trail Kosciuszko. Um, oh, yeah. 27K, which I think is in December. So that should give me close to six months postpartum. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll aim for that. We'll just see how the body feels. Um, yeah. I still have an entry to Western States 
So, I was, that's my next question, yeah. Yeah, so I've deferred that multiple times now thanks to pregnancy. So um, yeah. I think it will be too early to go for 2023. Um, I don't, mm. the way that I want to mm. run that race, I don't think I'll be ready at 12 months. Um, yeah. So I'll probably leave that to 2024 okay. um, and put that, yeah, on the agenda. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what about one of your favourite books that you've, um, you know, either drawn inspiration from in whether it be your, your training or, or your life? I really miss reading. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah. my, uh, when I was pregnant with Atticus, I was finishing my PhD, so there hadn't yeah. been any reading for quite a long time. And then having a young child, um, it's been very hard to, to commit to reading a book. So um, I have had Raw on my, uh, on oh, yeah. my, on my list. Um, yep gotten through about half of that and that's been very good um that's by Stacey Sims looking at women's health basically in in exercise and um you know I think that's been good for coaching lots of my athletes um Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's the extent of it at the moment (laughs) (laughs) one day my brain will be able to focus on a book again (laughs) well you still read plenty during your PhD it's just not books yeah 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 Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I know you are incredibly um, busy and we're, we're lucky to, to have you on. Um, but it's, it was a question actually we, we had from a, from a listener um, in terms of they were, you know, a bit confused because they found it difficult to, to find the information. So, um, and we know it's a common question and there is that common myth like um, that, yeah, you shouldn't be, you know, to exercising when you're pregnant. Like you said, actually, that could potentially be detrimental. So, um, yeah, it's good just to get that advice and then from someone that competes at a, at a high level and also coaches many athletes from recreational to high level um, and just give some practical tips too. So, um, yeah, it will probably just make sure we've got the right resource to reference people to from you and we'll um, link that into our social media. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you to Tegan and your family for sharing you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, good luck with your, your training ahead. Thank you very much for having me. All right, thank you so much, Kelly, for the interview. It was great to hear your experience um, both during pregnancy and breastfeeding and how that played out from a nutrition point of view, but also in terms of some of that uh, return to to running post-pregnancy as well. So just to give a a very quick summary, obviously it's just here by myself. Um, The first thing, I guess, is Kelly did talk a lot about guidelines both for pregnancy and postpartum in terms of exercise. So we thought you'd uh, we'd point you in the direction of those. So the first one that she mentioned during pregnancy was the Sports Medicine Australia position statement on exercise in pregnancy and the postpartum period. Uh, so you can just Google that. You'll find it pretty quickly and easily. Uh, there's quite a lot of information in there about safe exercise during pregnancy. Uh, the postpartum period is pretty um, sparse in that guideline. It mainly focuses on pregnancy, uh, but we'll get to the postpartum and some other guidelines in just a second. The other article that Kelly mentioned that she found really helpful um, was actually uh, written on a website called irunfar.com. So it's not in a scientific journal, but it is written by 
um, a person with an academic background and really sort of summarising all of the research um, in an in easy-to-read format uh, in that article. Uh, it's called Baby on Board, Long Distance Running During Pregnancy, and it's on the irunfar.com website. So if you Google that, again, you should find that pretty easily. I guess the key takeaways from Kelly, uh, from the pregnancy side of things, uh, I guess the one thing I really took away from that is, you know, we talk about the fact that, you know, there's an extra energy requirement during pregnancy. In other words, you need more calories, um, although it's not a huge amount more, particularly in the early stages. Um, but also during pregnancy, yes, you might still be exercising, but it's likely that the volume of training that you're doing is going to reduce. And particularly, I guess, the, the further into the pregnancy you go, the more that will be reduced, um, just because it's, it's too uncomfortable to do that kind of volume anymore. And so because of that, for her, as someone who's you know an elite level runner and has done you know large volumes of training as an ultra runner, for her the increased calories from pregnancy were more than offset by the reduction in training volume during this time. And so for her, it wasn't something that she had to sort of go out of her way to eat more than usual. Um, it was probably just staying about the same, or or in some cases maybe even slightly less, uh, because of the reduction in in the training volume. And Kelly was obviously very lucky that she didn't have too much in the way of nausea or morning sickness, so um, that didn't cause too many headaches for her. Although, as we spoke to Alicia last week, that can make things really tricky for some women, um, just to get what you want in from, from the diet, but also uh, how that plays out around the timing with training and things like that. So if you have the luxury to be able to change the time of day that you train, um, if that helps around you know nausea and morning sickness and reflux and things like that then that may be helpful but obviously it's not always possible with work and, and other commitments as well um i guess the other things that, that kelly you know again didn't encounter too much in terms of cravings or food versions and those sort of things alicia touched on that a little bit more um, and so that might impact on um, i guess the the food choices that you're making um, that will then you know impact on nutrition as well and um yeah, that's obviously very individual, so it's hard to give any sort of specific recommendations there or, or practical tips because it's going to be very much a case-by-case -case basis. I guess one of the things that we didn't cover too much in either episode, but I guess it's just important to point out, is there is the standard vitamin and mineral supplements that are recommended preconception and during pregnancy, and particularly in that first trimester. So things like folate and iodine in particular, uh, and that, that's regardless of training. So those things don't change um, because you're doing a lot of training or not and so just you know seek out your usual um, antenatal care advice for those uh, and just a reminder for some of the other I guess dietary requirements during pregnancy and the things that people need to be aware of is obviously the the risk with listeria and some of the foods to avoid there again that's not training specific but just a reminder so uh, make sure you seek out information about which foods to, to eat or avoid during pregnancy for that, um, and also things like mercury and, and the amount of fish that you eat as well. Uh, and then finally, you know, female runners, cyclists and triathletes are already a high risk group for iron deficiency, as we know, and iron requirements go up during pregnancy. So it's probably a good idea to get iron checked preconception if it's a planned pregnancy uh, and then throughout pregnancy as well. And we heard um, you know, Kelly had to take iron supplements uh, towards the end of her first pregnancy. And uh, Alicia mentioned she had to get an iron infusion actually during one of hers as well. And that's not only, I guess, looking at the iron status during the pregnancy, but setting that up for the postpartum period 
um, where iron deficiency can be an issue during breastfeeding as well. So moving on to breastfeeding, uh, obviously Kelly, as I said in the intro, um, was very uh, scientific in her sort of return to running postpartum. Um, given her occupational therapy background uh, and her research background, she was sort of very conscious of that and was able to find the information around there. And the particular article that Kelly mentioned um, is originally it was written as some guidelines by some physiotherapists in the UK because there was a lack of guidelines uh, and it was published to the public. Um, since then, a version of that has been published in the journal Physiotherapy, uh, but there is another version which is accessible to anyone um, and is, is very comprehensive. So if you Google um, returning to running postnatal guidelines for medical health and fitness professionals managing this population, you'll find that article um, just through uh, just hosted through a physio website. Uh, but if you want the, the full academic version of that that's been peer-reviewed, then there is a version in the journal Physiotherapy as well, but there's probably a subscription paywall. So if you're not in academia, you may have a bit more trouble accessing that version. Uh, we talked about obviously the nutrition needs of breastfeeding being fairly similar to pregnancy. You know, there's still an increased uh, calorie need and both I think Alicia and Kelly mentioned that that wasn't too much of a problem um, meeting that increased calorie need. The appetite was appropriate for that. Um, and obviously um, there's been a bit more room to fit the food in without having to worry about reflux and, and nausea and that kind of thing. So it, it does make it a little bit easier in that sense. Um, although Kelly mentioned that probably hydration was the thing that she had to be a bit more conscious about, obviously with increased fluid needs, about 800 mils a day. Um, but if you're not someone who's sort of quite conscious about hydration on a day-to-day -day basis anyway, then that might take a little bit more thought. And particularly when you're sleep deprived, uh, you haven't got access to things as easily because you're carrying around a baby. Um, you're stuck on a couch one-handed, both Alicia and Kelly sort of described that the practical challenges that go around that as well. I guess as you're returning to training, the volume is going to be pretty small to start off with. So the sort of typical sports nutrition things that you're trying to do in terms of, you know, fueling adequately, um, probably not so much a concern early on because the volume of training is just not that great but as you start getting back more and more into a, a more normal volume of training I guess it's just a reminder that those things will start to become an issue uh, again which may not have been for quite a while so just to, to be conscious of those and, and think about them and then obviously if you're still breastfeeding at that time then that's where you're probably going to have that added nutrition requirement on top where you've got both the extra requirements from breastfeeding and the extra requirements from training as your volume goes back to um, sort of a full volume of training for you, whatever that is. Um, and then obviously in terms of things like sports nutrition supplements and sports foods, both Alicia and Kelly mentioned that that's potentially a concern uh, and that we, you know, we can't guarantee a product is safe from um, contamination. You know, it is a potential possibility and obviously people are a bit more conscious of that during this time. Uh, but batch tested products, which are at least looking for banned substances, things like stimulants, which are probably things that you don't want when you're breastfeeding, um, and other water banned substances, um, at least you can try and eliminate the risk of those, even if you're not being drug tested, it's more from a safety point of view. So again, batch tested products don't necessarily eliminate those sort of contamination things that aren't necessarily performance enhancing substances, um, but at least it will remove or, or lower the risk for some of those other ones. Um, and then finally, uh, there's a couple of things that I want to make mention of here. Uh, I think Kelly and 
or Alicia mentioned the Australian Institute of Sport Female Performance and Health Initiative. Um, that's a fantastic resource that's been up and running for about a year now uh, and certainly encourage you to go and have a look at that. There's a whole lot of resources both for uh, practitioners but also for coaches and athletes themselves. So if you go to ais.gov.au forward slash FPHI for Female Performance and Health Initiative, um, you'll find all the information there. And there's also, for those of you who are practitioners, the uh, Women in Sport Congress that is running, uh, is being run by La Trobe University and the AIS Female Performance and Health Initiative uh, here in Melbourne at the MCG on August 17 to 19. So if that's something you're interested in, you can go to womeninsportcongress.org.au and find out all the information about that as well. Okay, so let's look ahead to next week's podcast, and our episode will be episode 37A. So it's a new topic, and a bit of a change of scene. Uh, We're going to look at, with winter coming here in the Southern Hemisphere, how should my nutrition change when it's really cold? So some of you uh, might be riding early in the morning and starting to get the arm warmers and leg warmers on and gloves and all those kinds of things. Uh, so we're going to talk to Beck Hall, who is a sports dietitian who works with the Olympic Winter Institute of Australia and recently attended the 2022 Winter Olympics and Paralympics in Beijing. And she's also worked at the Canadian Sports Institute with winter athletes there, as well as many of their middle distance runners. So we're going to talk about, I guess, some of the issues of exercise in much colder weather. If there's any specific nutrition requirements that change, if there are any things we need to change in terms of you know how much calories or carbs or protein or anything like that, but then also a lot of the practical things. So obviously Beck's had that experience working with athletes in the snow in sub-zero temperatures, and it won't necessarily always be that cold where you're exercising, although in some parts of the world it may well be. Um, but I guess some of the the issues around you know. Uh, the practical stuff around keeping food warm or keeping it from freezing, um, using you know when to use hot drinks versus when not to use sort of heated up drinks, um, and then things like you know how to open packaging when you've got you know thick gloves on and things like that. Some of that sort of really practical stuff that we don't necessarily think about uh, until we're in that situation and and having trouble with it. So it'd be great to hear from Beck and get her experience working with snow sport athletes and I guess how we can take that experience and apply it to running, cycling, and triathlon in cold weather. So just a final reminder: if you would like. A particular question answered on the podcast, you can contact us at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to hear what your question is and see if we can answer it on the podcast. Also, just a reminder, we don't talk about it a lot. Um, We do have, obviously, a a pretty big back catalogue there now. We're up to, obviously, the 37th different question that we're going to be answering next week on the podcast. Um, So if you do have a question, it might also be worth flicking back through the archives of the podcast and see if it's a question that we have, in fact, answered already. Or if you want a quick overview, if you're fairly new to the podcast and you want an overview of the sort of earlier episodes in the podcast, If you skip back to episode 26, which was published in December 2021, there's actually our first birthday special year in review where we actually did a two to three minute summary of all the previous 25 questions in the podcast. So that might be a good way to get up to speed. Or if you want just a quick overview on multiple questions, then you can skip ahead to that podcast and, and have a look at that as well. Okay, well, I think that's it for this week. Obviously, Steph will be back next week from Western Australia. 
with no doubt with plenty of stories about what happened over at the Market River Ultra Marathon where she was there to do some research and also her holiday in WA after that as well. So we look forward to hearing from Steph and uh, hearing the feedback that she's been getting from the podcast out in the wild. But otherwise, have a great week, everyone. Take care and we'll see you in the next episode.